verse 20, uh, where it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, for those of you that are following along in uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, you'll be able to see that there's a series of relationships that are there, and uh, this is one of them that's highlighted. Uh, this is parallel, and I'll turn the page over to Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 6, which is at, uh, written at the same time, uh, written at the same time because Paul was in prison. Uh, he was writing to the Galatian people, to the uh, Colossae people, and also to the Ephesus people. Uh, and during that time, so if you flip over to Ephesians chapter uh, 6, he echoes it and he mentions mom particularly. So I wanted to get there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then he adds the words, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I wanted to make sure that you got that in because it's the same mindset in Colossians as it is in, in, in Ephesians and in the church in both of those cities, just like, the, like our church, is that when he says in Colossians chapter 3, uh, in verse 20, he says, children, uh, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. In his mind, he's also echoing the fact, honor your father and your mother. That's one of our keys today. We'll be looking at mothers, but let's look at the other verses that we have. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, the apostle still writes there, this is the first letter to Timothy. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would your, uh, a father, and younger men as brothers, older women as Mothers, You see, this is where you get the theological motherhood. Uh, you get this connection here. Honor the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. And that was the guidance that he was given to Timothy to make sure was applied within the church that he was pastoring in Ephesus. If you look at the Old Testament, Proverbs 23, 25, let your father and your mother be... Be glad. i got to just repeat that again because so many fathers and mothers are miserable. Let me just say that again. This was written a long time ago. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Now, I think that rejoicing always starts when you're delivered. It's a good thing. But when you realize that the, the, the proverb, the author here, which is Solomon, is trying to tell folks that, this is, that children should be something that's wonderful. It should bring joy to you. So let the father and the mother be glad. For, uh, if you go to Deuteronomy 6, you're also going to realize that this was a passage that was written uh, by Moses to the next generation. These are the people in Deuteronomy that don't remember Egypt. Their parents used to live in Egypt, but they've only grown up in the wilderness. And he tells them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he goes on to repeat the, uh, the Ten Commandments, which includes a number five, honor your father and your mother. Teach this to your children. Bind it on their foreheads and, and teach it to them. Now, if you look at Psalm 113.9, uh, this is a little interesting because the psalmist is now telling us of some of the struggles that Christians may go through. He says he, that God gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. When you start looking at some of these other passages, you're going to hear that some folks were sad that they didn't get to be mothers in the biological sense. And when you listen there, God is able to bring joy. 
and to be able to help them to be, as I've been calling it, uh, spiritual mothers, theological mothers. If you go also down to 139.13, and this one is uh, one that we often cherish when we're talking about the, the crisis pregnancy center and things like that, we go right to Psalm 139. For God, you formed me in my, in, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together, and do you see the rest of that verse? It, it was in a hospital, right? You know, no, the, the focus here is that this is by God's design that there would be a womb, uh, and that's why, why the psalmist says it so well. God, you were putting all the parts together inside the womb. And in Proverbs 1.8, it's kind of like a, an overall admonition. Here, my son, in other words, Solomon is writing to his boy, and uh, his boy is going to be the future king. Here, my son, your father's instructions... He doesn't stop there. He says, and forsake not, what? Your mother's input, her teaching. Now, we could include a lot more. I wanted to begin our text today, our sermon today, by helping you to see that this is not a, uh, an aberration. The idea of a mother is not something that is just overlooked. It is something that is found throughout Scripture because every time you find somebody, I can tell you that person owes honor to his or her mother. Let us pray, and then I'll begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that you will work faith in us as it is read and preached and proclaimed and expounded. Lord, we pray that your will would be made known to us, and not only that we would be hearers of that, but that we would be doers. And Lord, we pray that you'll prepare our hearts, that we might come joyfully to the table that you've prepared for us. In Jesus' name I give thanks. Amen. When, um, when, when, a, when a preacher or a theologian or a, somebody at seminary comes to you and says, who's greater, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? What, what's your answer? If you fall into the trap of saying one's better than another, then that's one of the same parallels that I don't want you to fall into. In our text in Colossians 3.20, it talks about parenting. And there's three parts to parenting. There's a father and a mother, and there's a child. If you take away the child, then there's no parenting. Okay? And if you take away the father, there's no parenting. If you take away the mother, there's no parenting. So all three of those are essential in, in, uh, in Colossians 3.20, and that's why I want to make sure we don't miss the, the, that one component, because when you look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, they're equal in power and glory, and yet when you look in Scripture, there is order and there is a submission. But it's not because one's better than the other. It's because God designed it that way. It's really beautiful how the Father sent the Son and the the Spirit sent, excuse me, God, God sent the Son and the Son sent the Spirit. It's really beautiful how God works it together to have that unity, or as I like to call it, the tri perspectival approach. Now, when, we, when I asked that and laid that foundation, who's more important in the home, the children, the mom, or the dad? You're catching on. It's very easy for you to say, oh, that one, oh, that one. And if you're one of the children here that picked up one of these flowers that has a chocolate in the middle, you might have thought that was for you. But really, today we're trying to single out and show the beauty of motherhood. And we don't want her to be seen as something less than she is. And that's one of the reasons why I think many people don't honor the fifth commandment. 
to honor your father and your mother because you don't really realize that this is something that God ordained and set in place. There's a universal concept. I remember growing up, you know, if you wanted to get somebody mad at you, you would say, your mama wears... I'm afraid what's going to come out. <laughs> but you all know what I'm talking about. That was kind of a universal thing that nobody should pick on your mother. They might say mean things about your dad because your dad might be a drunk or he might be out too much. He might be a workaholic or whatever the case. But nobody was supposed to mess with your mom. Is that still true today? It's kind of interesting if you watch like the NFL when they, when they had the picks and stuff like that. Uh, oftentimes you, you find these big giant guys that are going to make millions of dollars. And one of the first things they want to do is, you know, say they love mom. I did it, mom. There is a, a beautiful relationship that's seen in all of that. But I want you to know that, it, that it's being eroded. And that's one of the things that the sermon is going to be. My dad used to have a saying, and I didn't know if it was because mom was uh, seemingly perpetually pregnant when, when she was young. Uh, there were eight kids in the family that survived. I think there were 12 pregnancies. Um, dad always wanted to grow the church, and he did it the Dutch way. <laughs> I'm only half Dutch, I think. We didn't quite get to, get to eight kids, only with four. But the... Uh, that, that's, the, that's what they usually say, Dutch evangelism, is by growing the church, by growing your family. Uh, the, the interesting thing here is my dad used to have a phrase every Mother's Day. He was a preacher. Uh, he was out at, at Cub Hill for, for over 50 years. He would always say, a mother is like no other. Sometimes I think he would say it to butter my mom up for all the times that he fell short. But I honestly believe that he marveled at how mom was able to bring uh, eight kids, uh, you know, to prepare all the food. Uh, and if you, if you picture this, at the age of 40, she had twins, and she found out two weeks before delivery that there were two. And, uh, but I always remember as a six-year-old that uh, she was really big. <laughs> 17 pounds of baby was delivered. Uh, but maybe that was why my dad would say, a mother is like no other. I mean, that's a major accomplishment. But when you think about it, I want you to know that today God takes notice of mothers. And it wasn't just my dad saying something like this. The word of God, my heavenly father, says mothers are valued and important. There's three points I just want to highlight before we come to communion. One, I want to examine the scripture. Uh, I want to be able to see what a mother is. Secondly, we're going to expose a concern, especially in this postmodern era. And thirdly, I want to be able to help you to experience the difference of being in Christ. And uh, I'll, I'll quickly go through these. The first is uh, about uh, what a mother actually is. And when I think about what a mom is, I had my illustration over here. And there, there is a beauty to be able to say, if you could follow the camera over and maybe even get some lights uh, because people can't all see it. Uh, over here I have two live, or not alive, but they're real illustrations. I have a, a chair and I have another chair. And uh, when, you, when you look over here and take a look, you're going to see that this chair, it's a, it's a rocking chair. Um, and a lot of you are going to think that this is for a mother that's nursing. This chair was last used by Gail's mom. 
This was one of her, Gail Kennedy's mom. This was one of her favorites. And I remember her sitting in it. Uh, but but uh, this is, when I saw this chair yesterday, I thought this is a great way to honor Gail's mom who came and lived and came to church or, or participated with some of our ministry. Uh, but this chair was set up for her. Whereas this other chair over here, it was just in my garage and I thought it would be a great one. Now, of course, I can't use it. And right now in my house, I don't have anybody that's actually in there. But this one is also about another mom. And it's the mom that's now living with us that's got a baby in tow. I'm really excited. We're going to have uh, the grandbaby be born in August. Uh, I think it's going to be a little girl that will probably be using this fancy little mobile chair. Now, <clears throat> when you think about it, when does motherhood begin? Okay, if you understand this point, the world is already telling you something different. But let me tell you what the Bible says, that you become a mother at conception. Life begins at conception. And therefore, if a baby is inside, a soul that will never die is inside, then you have become a mother at conception as well. So you're a mom, and that you're a grandma, and I'm a grandfather already because the baby is here. If you think about it, part of the reason that, that mothers are to be honored is that they have been given a special privilege right from the beginning. And I don't want us to dismiss the beauty of what the scripture says, that God established this relationship. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you're going to see that there is a portion of scripture that says there, uh, when Adam and Eve were having a wonderful time in the garden, and we'll focus on Adam and Eve when we do husbands and wives in a few moments, but uh, God did not just tell them to be in the garden in a perpetual honeymoon. If you remember, there was a mandate. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That whole idea of multiplying was not an after effect. It was not a, uh, some kind of um, reaction. It wasn't like Adam and Eve and saw each other and said, oh boy, that's just fun. Let's make babies. They didn't know about babies. They didn't know anything about that. Okay, they, they were created in God's image and they were holy and happy. That was the way it was. But God already made them capable of having offspring. How do I know this? In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, they ate the forbidden fruit. They wanted to be more like God instead of being in fellowship with God. And boy, they learned about evil. And God gave them grace and he said to them, he said, there's going to be troubles. There's going to be enmity uh, between you and between your children. Now, he doesn't call them children in Genesis 3.15, but he tells them that it's their seed. Okay? And so the idea there is it, it, we all know that that means their offspring. Just like with plants and, and with the other herbs, the seeds are the next thing to be able to have something else, a new plant, grow. But I will put enmity between Satan and between the woman's seed. And of course, that's the first time we ever learn about Jesus coming into the world. And, and how do we know Jesus is going to come into the world? Or how we know that he's going to be born of a woman, born under the law, Philippians chapter 2. It's, it's so amazing that motherhood and parenting is something that was designed way, way, way back there. It is not an effect of evolution. It is by God's 
design. He established it. Now, if I take you to some other portions of Scripture in Deuteronomy uh, or, or in Luke or in Psalms, I can highlight a few of them for you. But when, when I tell you that God also blessed marriage, uh, when, you, when you think about this, I, uh, he blessed motherhood is what I'm trying to emphasize, is that in looking at, at uh, Deuteronomy 7, he says, uh, behold... Uh, no, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it's the portion where he's telling the next generation that you ought not to despise your mother. He's just given them the Ten Commandments in 5 through 6. And in chapter 7, he explains that it's important. And then if you go into chapter, I think it's uh, towards the end in chapter, 20, or chapter 30, uh, that's where you get the blessings and curses. After he's taught the whole new generation, the second generation, the deutero means second, the second giving of the law to that generation, at the end he says, you guys, you will be blessed if you do what, we, what I told you and follow God, but you will be cursed if you don't. And in chapter 30, he echoes it again, where he says that, um, he says in verse, this is chapter 30, verse 9, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of the womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God and keep his commandments and his statutes, all that are written in the book of the law, and then he says, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's really interesting that when he finished up the whole book of Deuteronomy, because it only finishes just a couple chapters later, uh, he's saying, you guys, it's so important. Even the blessing of the womb is something that God is either going to give or withhold. God not only established it, but he was able to bless it. And he also declares it to be honorable. Some people might think it's kind of messy. I remember when we, were, uh, when we first had our, uh, our babies and we were talking about, you know, whether, whether I would want to be there for the delivery and all that kind of stuff or whether I could actually stand on my feet through it all. But the, but the point through there was that I definitely wanted to be there for the birth of my son and my son and for my daughter and my son because... That's my son, but it's also my wife's son, son, daughter, and son. It's really beautiful what God has set up, and we can't take it for granted or dismiss it. God declares that this is honorable. Okay, having understood that, let me take you to the Ten Commandments. In the ten words that God gave from Mount Sinai, that, and he wrote them with his own finger, okay, and I mean, this is from God. It's not just the big voice like the Charlton Heston movie. Uh, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But when God himself is so engaged that when he talks after the first four, uh, which are vertical, the first four commandments about uh, honoring God, not worshiping anything else, honoring God's name, and making sure you worship God regularly, which should be on the Lord's day. Okay, after those four, then there's six commandments, six words that are given horizontally. You're going to stay on this earth, God says, and this is what you have to do. This is the duty that I expect of you. And the number, of the first duty that God wrote with his own finger, he says, honor who? Your parents. Whew. Do you think God cares about parents? Do you think God thinks the role of a father and mother are significant? I mean, if, if any of you have said, oh, it's no big deal, or as we just heard from uh, our sister that came from the Pregnancy Care Center, there's a lot of people that have no clue 
about the honor to be a parent. It's really kind of cool when you realize that. Uh, now, having, having grasped that, we've am, examined a little bit of Scripture. Secondly, I want to move quickly to the exposing of the concerns. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, if you have your Bibles open, you can see it. It says, see to it that no one would take you captive by philosophy or by empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I've gone back to this verse many, many times. Why? It's because in, in Paul's day, when he was getting these words from, from the preacher Epaphras, and, uh, and the word came to him while he was in jail, there was some grave concern that the people that were in the church there in Colossae were getting deceived. There was grave concern that they were listening to the wrong voices. Or if I modernize it, they were listening to the wrong podcast or they were turned into the wrong channels on your TV. And they were hanging out with the wrong crowd who was telling them it was okay to do things that God said it wasn't okay to do. Do you see the parallels? The Apostle Paul was gravely concerned, and that's why he ends up writing chapter 2 and explains a few things. Let me just repeat that. See that no one can take you from the right path. See that you're not taken captive by the way they think and, and by the empty deceit that they offer. Now, I remember when we had children uh, back in the day, that was a long time ago, you know, it was the last century. Uh, when we had our children back in the 90s, uh, I remember the, that phrase that there was no manual for them. You know, that when you have kids, there's no manual that tells you this, you need to do this or do this or do this. Now, we actually, in Christian circles, we, we found a few people that had written some curriculum and all. And I remember my wife and I, we joined with another couple and we, we, um, we thought, well, let's, we're rookies. Let's, let's go learn together. So one of my seminary friends, another pastor, he was having kids the same time I was having kids. And so we met at our house and we did this series called Growing Kids God's Way. It's kind of interesting. They had some great points in it. Some of the stuff is not so great. But there were some neat things that we learned from it uh, because there was no manual. What are you going to do when you're going to rear kids? Now, when I, when, I, when I look to the world and I'm watching, I was a youth pastor at the time and we had about 20 kids, and I, I was picturing what they would be like when they become parents. You know, at the time, we were in South Carolina and a lot of the kids had four-wheel drives. Hence, that's why I have my little red truck. It's a four-wheel drive because I was a youth pastor working with all these people that had four-wheel drives. So I blended right in and tried to work with them so I didn't distract. Uh, but that was life for us. But what was it going to be like for them if when they grow up and get married, which, by the way, a lot of them are. Sad thing is most of them are not in church anymore. They obviously didn't read the manual that God provided. Now, you're in church, so that's wonderful, but the question simply is, is when the children come into your world and the grandchildren come into the world, are they going to come in and know the right way? Are they going to be listening to the wrong voices? Or are you, as young people, those of you that are here, are you going to be listening to the secular voices too? Back in the day, if, if you could put up the uh, picture there of the uh, Dr. Zeus book, there was a, uh, you know, back in the day before they were banned, can't believe that Dr. Zeus is canceled right now. Now, but Dr. Seuss's book, uh, which was written by, uh, by uh, P.D. Eastman, um, his book there is, is, is Where's My Mother? Or Who is My Mother? And it's really interesting when you look at the progression of ideas. 
You know, from that book, you have this, this interesting little confused person, which fits with a lot of young people today, too. If you bring the next slide up, you're going to see that this mother bird had had an egg, okay? And so it's, everything is wonderful. That's like the pregnancy. And the delivery came. Isn't it great? Now, with the little bird, what's going to happen next is that the, the bird is going to hatch. And when the bird hatches, now the, the mom had flown away to get a worm or some food. And the little bird says, uh, I want to know where my mom is. Mommy, mommy. Now, the story goes on a little bit later that that little bird looks here, there, and everywhere. And, uh, I, and, and we put it all into one little page there so you could see it all. It looked at a machine and said, is that my mommy? It looked at a tree. Is that my mommy? It looked at everything. Is that my mommy? And of course, it's not mom. And if you go to the next one, you're going to find out that it was really beautiful when little birdie found mom again. You see, the picture there is the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it used to be taught in our culture. You didn't get confused by trucks or trees or tractors. You know, you didn't say, oh, that's my mommy and that's my mommy and that's my mommy. But if you look at the next slide I got in there, there's a lot of confusion coming up now. And this is not new. Heather has two mommies now. And this is one of the books that was in the schools uh, that in the last 10 years. And if you go a little bit further, I'll tell you that I don't know what's going to happen next. They might even try to do away with moms. You know, because right now, that preciousness of even the little bird finding his mom is gone. I was just trying to think of, if you could go back uh, to, the, to the text there, the scripture here is telling us that we are to, uh, to children, obey your mom and dad. If you don't know who your mom and dad is, then you're not going to be able to obey them very well. But the problem is, is that most of the people talking these days don't tell you to obey your mom and dad anymore. Now, if you will help with me, I, I did a little research. I was trying to find out who are the top moms uh, to be able to honor throughout history. And uh, one of these things that I found out was the TV moms. Now, so your mom is not on the list, so maybe you don't have to worry about this one for feeling bad. But uh, in this TV moms, they had all these TV shows over the last uh, few decades. And uh, who do you think was the most popular mom on TV? We got a June Cleaver, I hear. <laughs> I, I had to laugh. You know, number one was actually the mother of the Brady Bunch, Florence. A lot of people liked her. But as I went through there, it was really funny how they, they had uh, Roseanne Barr. They had uh, Jane West from Father Knows Best. They had Jean Stapleton, who Edith Bunker. You all know her from uh, All in the Family. Uh, they had uh, 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 <laughs> Katie Seagal from Peg Bundy in that, uh, and Married with Children. Uh, that was the mother figure. Uh, but those of you that go back to the Wild West, you remember the uh, Big Valley? And you had uh, Victoria Barkley. Uh, if you, when I went through here, they had that old show that was on TV at night, Dallas, with Ellie Ewing. You know, we all know who shot Jr., but uh, you remember Ellie. Uh, if you went through a few others with The Sopranos, or even in the uh, uh, in the way that the witch movie, uh, the witch TV show, Bewitched, you remember you had Agatha, was it, a or no, Agnes uh, as Andorra. Andorra, the mother who was always meddling. Uh, you can find the Simpsons. Simpsons had, a, had some votes in there, too. Uh, I was really fascinated that they went and, and did the Adams Family and had, the, had, had Morticia as one of the people. Uh, 
Then they had all in the family. Uh, Carol Burnett, I think, made it. Or no, it was Vicki Lawrence in the Carol Burnett show. Remember the old lady that had the gray hair? Uh, she was cantankerous. Uh, but uh, there's... Family Ties had, had Meredith Baxter, which was named uh, Mrs. Keaton. Uh, but but the, uh, in the top three, besides Barbara Billingsley as, Leave it, uh, as, as June Cleaver in Leave it to Beaver, uh, they had a couple of others that intrigued me. Uh, they had Claire Huxtable. You know, she was with The Cosby Show. She was the mom of all, the, of all the, of those families because Bill Cosby at that time had written a book about being a great dad. And a lot of people attributed a lot to, of that to that parenting style in those days. Uh, they even had somebody from the Partridge family as well as from the, from, from, uh, the Gilmore girls uh, with Lorelei. It's really interesting to see all the different moms that are there. Now, of all those people that are on TV, how many of them that triggered your memory? And some of you remember those TV shows. Some of you still watch them. How many of them were godly moms? Ozzie and Harriet? Okay, that was in the list. <laughs> it was before my time. Now, the thing about it is, most of these TV shows really didn't bring God into the picture at all. And what you find is that even all of us who came up with a steady diet of it, and if you go to the cartoons now, I mean, Tracy and I used to like cartoons like Arthur and things like that, but we don't like them anymore. Because everything has been morphing and changing. And so today, the warning is, is be careful that no one would take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. They're teaching you what mothers are supposed to be now. And right now, I know some of you are struggling, even today, that instead of having your children obey their mothers, guess what's happening? The mothers are obeying their children. Can you show me a scripture verse that said that's the way it's supposed to be? Oh, pastor, you've gone to meddling. Stay out of my business. I don't want to be canceled. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that part of the reason why we are in this postmodern world is that the family unit has been unraveling. And even though we've had some beautiful pictures of this, this, and this, we end up not seeing the beauty that it should be there. God says that we should not be deceived. The third point on this is what difference does it make to be in Christ? And I quickly want to make a little application before I take you to the cross and, and to, the, to the table for communion. But the experience. When you're sitting in church here, I'm assuming that most of you are Christians. I'm assuming that most of you know what it means to be in Christ. The reason I would say that is that for the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Colossians. And the Apostle Paul is so concerned that the people are going to be distracted and move away that he ends up explaining to them that you can't. If you're in Christ, you can't. And that's why if you look at chapter 3, he's saying you put off the old thing and its ugly things and you put on the new. And when you put on the new, it's, and I drew the circle, and I said, when you're in Christ, behold, all things are passed away and all things have become new. That's what he told the people in, Coloss or in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and following. Everything becomes new when you're in Christ. But when you're, when you're talking about Colossians now, the apostle has just spent chapter 1 explaining that God is great and that Jesus is the one that has made it possible for you not to be an enemy of God. 
God went to great extents to, and, and it, it mirrors John 3.16, where God sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish. But in, in, in Colossians 1, he says, the father has done these three great things that you ought to be thanking the father for because he delivered us from this other world. He regenerated us and he put us into the kingdom of Jesus. And he said, there's nobody else like Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And you can read all that in verse 11 of chapter 1 and keep going on. It's so cool. But he says, in Christ is all the Godhead. And then in, at the end of chapter 1, he says, and the mystery that I get to tell you is not that this is just theoretical. It is practical. You are united to Christ. You once who have been outsiders have been brought in. And then he says, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then everything's different. And that's why I make the application to those of you being a Christian with a mother. If you are in Christ and you have a mother, guess what you're supposed to do? Honor that mother. I found it kind of interesting, though, that this command, it actually is applicable to everybody, even if you're not in Christ. You know why? Because the, the call to honor your mother or to obey your mother is something that everybody could do because in order to get here, they had a mother. Everybody on this earth has a mother. You might not know the mother, and they might try to one day come up with test tube babies and everything else, and you may never be able to find the mother. But let me tell you, it takes a mom and a dad. That's why we do from Mother's Day to Father's Day when we're talking about pregnancies. Now, in this reality, many people don't honor mom. There is a special connection, but I think the book of Proverbs verse, one, uh, verse 8 is telling us that so many people need to be reminded, don't forget the teaching that your mom gave. So the question that I ask today is, what kind of teaching did you get from mom? Did she train you in the way you should go, Proverbs 22, 6? Did she reinforce the family unit? Or did mom buy into this worldview and say, no, I can do it on my own. I can do anything I want to do. If you, if you look at it, you're going to be able to see the unraveling. And some of those things are not very honorable. But God doesn't say you need to honor your mom only if she's honorable. The text says, children, honor your father and mother. The text says here in verse 20, children, obey those parents in some things. No, it actually says in everything, for this is what God designed. This is what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, that's one of those things where when we make the application, you'll get there. The second point that I want to draw in is if you're a, if you're a Christian mom or you're going to be a Christian mom soon, okay, if you know of somebody that's going to be a Christian mom, then the question is, if you're in Christ, do you parent differently than if you weren't in Christ? The answer is yes. Let me review those things because this is good for all of us because it's good for those with a mother and it's good for those who are going to be a mother or those who are a mother. And if I could, instead of being like the world and instead of listening to uh, Dr. Huxtable or Dr. Fauci or Dr. Cosby or Dr. anybody, Dr. Dobson even, instead of listening to all these voices in the world, let's listen to our Heavenly Father who gives us guidance, and he tells us, uh, if you have your Bibles there, you can see it. I want to turn to, the, it's the put on and put off passage. And it's really quite interesting. There in Colossians chapter uh, uh, 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, the earthly part. 
So if you are somebody that has a mom, it's, you're a Christian and has a mom, or if you're a mom who is a Christian, these things ought to be put away. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. They ought not to be a part of your parenting. They ought not to be a way that you move forward with your mom. And then he says, God's wrath is going to come on those because he, God doesn't smile with that. And if you're in the body of Christ and you're in that kind of sin, if you're covetous and you're nasty and angry, be sure that God the Father will chasten you because whom the Lord loves, he does chasten and correct. He brings about the consequences to bring you to your knees so that you can be restored. Now, the, the other reality, though, it's not all about no, 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 no. Even though he does repeat, don't be angry, don't be full of wrath, don't have lots of malice, don't slander the other party, and don't have your tongue used for obscene, uh, it's obscene speech. Or as he says in, in, in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Can you imagine if you're a Christian mother and you don't have obscene things come out of your mouth? That's actually pretty easy. You know, my mom, I don't remember her saying bad stuff. I remember when we, we had a joke recently about Tracy's grandmother. She was a godly lady. I don't think we only heard one bad word out of her mouth, and I think she didn't know that she said it because she was deaf. But the point I'm making is my concern is for those of us that are children. Many of us still have all this obscene speech. We're filled with malice. We're not at peace. We're angry. We lie to each other. We don't tell people the truth. You see, if you're in Christ, these are not options for you. These are not options for you. Instead, put on, as one that's in Christ, a compassionate heart. I think moms tend to put more compassion on than anybody else. They might not need to hear this admonition, but I think a lot of the kids do. We need to put on kindness. We need to put on humility, esteem another better than ourselves. We need to have our strength under control, not wild and reckless. That's meekness. And we need to wait on God's timing for things to happen rather than rush, rush, rush to get what we think we want. And verse 14, if you're following along, the best thing to put on if you're in Christ is love. And that binds it all together. Brothers and sisters, there is a verse in Scripture in Matthew 23, where Jesus was just about to die. Jesus was on the, it was an Olivet Discourse, and he was looking over Jerusalem. And the scripture is recorded by Matthew that Jesus looked over it and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, I could see him weeping. And the reason it says, it's like he would, he was likening himself to a mother hen who would protect the chicks. When a fire came, I remember hearing the story that there was, there was a fire that burned through the chicken coop and, there was a, and everybody thought they lost everything. And then when they lifted up one of, the, one of the birds, the little chicks were still there. The mom hen had, had protected them. And they lived. Just like the little story, who's my mommy? Solomon showed what motherhood was when he, dis when he displayed one of his greatest pieces of wisdom. There were two ladies who both had children. The one ended up, I think, laying on the child and, and it died. And so there was two moms and there was one child. 
and there was great disdain. Whose child was this? You know the story? Solomon, with all of his glory, says, bring me a sword, and we'll cut it in half, and you can have half, and you can have half. I mean, that is so ungodly. I mean, it's like, if, if I gave that counsel, you guys would not pay me. You would take money away. But Solomon was showing what motherhood is. Because when both of those ladies knew that that baby was going to be cut off, cut in half, the true mother demonstrated a love, a sacrifice. Don't kill my baby. Let him live. Let him live. Solomon was real quick after that. He said, hey, this is obvious. This lady that was willing to have the baby cut in half, that's not the mom. Because mothers don't do that. It's not putting on the bond of love that brings things in harmony. Jesus loves us even more than a mother. He would protect us like a mother hen, yes. But he did something that a mother can never do. Because fathers and mothers will let us down. They always do. And they're not always around because they'll get old and they'll go on to glory if they're Christians. But Jesus will never let us down. And that's why when we look at the love that he had, it model, it's the model love that even a mother with a compassionate heart needs. Greater love hath no one than this, that he would give his life for you. The cross is that point. If you believe that, then you, being in Christ, then you realize that putting on those things of patience and, and meekness and humility, that's no big deal because we're looking to Jesus who did everything for us. Now when he says, honor your mother, you do it because the love of God flows through you to love that lady, to love the one that God chose to bring you into the world, even with a part of her DNA as yours. We've come to the table, and we want to know that a mother's love is great, but our Heavenly Father's love for us is greater. As we are invited to the table, normally in our house, Tracy usually does all the preparations. She's the, she likes the kitchen better than I. I like the garage. But God says he has prepared a table for us. And when we partake of this, we're going to know about his love, the love that he has for his children. Let me pray as the elders come forward. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sweet communion. We thank you that you didn't delegate it to other people to have to prepare. You prepared it. And the point is, is that even though we have these physical pieces of bread and the physical cup of juice, Lord, we thank you, O oh Lord, that you are the one that, that they represent. It was your body that went to the cross to pay for our sins. It was your blood that was spilt, and then it was applied to the doorposts of our hearts that where that judgment has come on Christ, now judgment can pass over our souls. Oh, what manner of love the Father had demonstrated to us that we are the children of God. Thank you for this meal that you prepared for your children. In Jesus' name, amen.